Good evening, good day everyone, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to the 72nd episode of Ask Abhijit. This is the last episode of this year. And it's great to see you all. Let me just greet you all. I can see Cherry, Ajay Singh Rathor, Mayank Patil, Varad Joshi, Komal, Suresh, Anshul, Master Lohit, Sharad Tiwari, Joydeep, Piyush, Kunal, Kashappa, Panther, Pink, Abhishek, Srivastav, Manish Kumar, Dungar Singh Chauhan, Mani, Saraswatula, Mehul, Abhiyanshu, Anupam, Akash Rathor, Samarth Bhoite, Ravi Kumar, Mr. 5-3, Uttama, and lots of other people. Great to see you all. Great to see you all. So as you know, today is a live chat session. I'm going to be taking your questions from the live chat. So I am. I hope that you are all ready with whatever questions you have. And, and let's get going. Let's get right into it. So before I go into that, I, I just uh, discovered something new today. I discovered that there is a new theory of the Aryans. It is called the Aryan refugee theory. So apparently the Aryans came into India as, as refugees. <laughs> and uh, there are many more theories, you know, Aryan invasion theory, Aryan migration theory, Aryan tourism theory, Aryan picnic theory. And, and uh, what else can we think of? Aryan continental drift theory. Aryan uh, visa on arrival theory, Aryan student exchange theory, Aryan uh, alien invasion theory. <laughs> uh, it's just fun. Right. So let's take some questions. Let's take some questions. Um, something that we haven't taken before. Is the ancient Varna system justified? Listen. There is no justification or anything for in society. Things just evolve the way they do. There is no functioning society without a hierarchy. You go to any place in the world, in any period of history, any epoch of history, you will always find that society is stratified. It is It has a hierarchy. You have people who do certain... Uh, who, it's called division of labor, essentially, you know. But in the case of India, it is all demonized as if, as if no other society has a division of labor or, or, or a hierarchy. I mean, without a hierarchy, you cannot have a functioning organization. You have hierarchies in the army, you have hierarchies in corporate, uh, in businesses, in the corporate world, you have hierarchies in any society on the planet at any given time. Even in small tribes, you have hierarchies. So you know what, all this, it's just a waste of time. To, to wonder if it is justified and whether we were evil and our ancestors were oppressive. Come on, enough of this. It's, it's, it's the same old rigmarole that goes on and on and on and on. And all we do is keep on doubting ourselves and our history and our ancestors. Let's move beyond this and, uh, you know, move forward. Okay. Okay, Samudra Gupta and Rajendra one were known as the Napoleon of India and South in South India. Well, Napoleon was born much later. Chanakya was the Machiavelli of India. Why? Because of Eurocentrism. The Europeans see themselves as, a, as the center of the world. Right. I mean, how many battles did Napoleon Bonaparte win? How many wars did he win? And can we even compare that with Samudra Gupta and Rajendra Chola? Can we even compare that? I mean, Samudra Gupta was the hero of a thousand battles. His entire 
life was one extended military campaign right and rajendra chola i mean his accomplishments are far greater than those of napoleon but the europeans the western world they see everything from their own little perspective and that's why they give their little epithets to our people i mean who was machiavelli he was a nobody compared to vishnugupta chanakya what what are machiavelli's accomplishments he wrote a book a little book the prince he did not administer an empire he was not the mentor and guide to the emperor of an entire subcontinent machiavelli is a nobody you can't compare vishnugupta chanakya with this little insignificant individual called machiavelli and similarly samudragupta was far greater than napoleon so was rajendra chola and they had even they had better motives than napoleon napoleon was anyway so so that's the thing right there's no comparison so it's all because of eurocentrism and there's no need for us to uh, fall into that trap we should not call uh, samudragupta the napoleon of india there's no comparison why do historians deny any possibility of a lost ancient ice age civilization they don't deny it but we don't have evidence for it and in in some cases yes we know that uh, history is often distorted when it comes to india when it comes to other places it's uh, there's a lot of eurocentrism there's a lot of bias and all that so we do find these uh, these attitudes among historians especially western historians if you look at the uh, the attitudes they've had with respect to the history of the americas the pre columbian history they call it of the americas they, those are very regressive and and uh, dogmatic rigid attitudes cahokia first they call it cahokia first as if nothing was there before cahokia they claim that there was no human inhabitation in the americas before about 13000 14000 years before today which is a joke there's already evidence uh, much older than that so you know th- there is this attitude you know very very rigid dogmatic attitude group think and uh, the refusal to to even uh, accept uh, Uh, i mean archaeological evidence is facts and it's something that transcends uh history it, it 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 this is an attitude that you find in other disciplines as well even in even in science you will find such regressive attitudes for instance we can give the example of what's that name arthur eddington was it who tried to uh, to derail subramaniam chandrashekhar's career by saying that black holes simply can't exist there ought to be a law against a star behaving in such a manner so these attitudes are quite prevalent in multiple disciplines especially among the western eminent uh, academicians especially when it comes to uh, work done by people from other countries especially non white countries and so on so you have these things right so this is all dogmatism it's all eurocentrism unfortunately it it um, facts are facts and uh, how long will you suppress facts right okay okay let's get some more questions goa inquisition i've spoken about it okay a hypothetical question if hypothetically the taiwanese government was in power in mainland china what might be their stance towards the tibet arunachal pradesh aksai chin south china sea and other chinese claimed regions i would imagine that their uh, stance would be exactly the same as that of the chinese communist party because if you look at the official stance of the of the uh, taiwanese government they 
do themselves claim Arunachal Pradesh and Tibet as part of China. So there is not much of a difference, and that's why I, I, I find it quite curious that Indians are so much are so supportive of Taiwan. You know, Taiwan is not our problem. It is it is okay to use Taiwan if possible as a stick to beat the Chinese Communist Party with, but there is no need for Indians to be in love with Taiwan and consider them consider Taiwan to be our blood brothers. You know, it's not the case. They themselves have the, have the same attitudes, expansionist attitudes. It's just that they are very weak right now and they are being uh, bullied by the Chinese Communist Party and maybe they will be taken over soon. But So, so that's the official stance that they have. All right. Um... What's my view on the autobiography by 3M? Who is 3M? Do you think fireball from the sky was a spaceship? Could you be more specific, sir? <laughs> Who is 3M? I'm not really sure. And which fireball? There are fireballs in the sky like every week that we that we that we observe. You need to be more specific, sir. I would like like I'd be happy to answer, but please be more specific. Okay. Um let us Okay, this again, I think I have answered this, but why is Hitler bad and Churchill okay for the Western world? How can one counter the claim that Churchill was a hero? By publishing facts, by speaking about facts. Hitler was evil and so was Churchill. There's no difference between Hitler and Churchill. They had the same attitudes, the same policies. The, the, Hitler killed Jews, Churchill killed Indians. He He's responsible for the, for the deaths of at least 4 million Indians. I would say it must be closer to 10 million because you cannot trust British records when it comes to the number of people they killed in India. The official statistics of the Bengal famine are about 3 to 4 million Indians died. Those are British figures. That Those are lies. Those are, those are, that is under-reporting of deaths. I am sure at least 10 million Indians would have died because of the famine and because of the uh, diseases and epidemics that plagued the region as a consequence of the famine and the malnutrition. So this was all deliberately engineered by Churchill. It's a crying shame that the West still kind of treats Churchill as, as, a, as a hero. The British considered him to be the greatest Britain. That's monstrous. The guy was a monster. How can one counter the claim? Talk about it, speak about it, tweet about it, write about it in social media. Our authors need to write about this, right? We need to publish articles about this, condemning the uh, actions of Winston Churchill. That's what needs to happen. Okay. Why can't the British people? Uh, why why didn't the British people occupy Nepal? They chose not to. They used Nepal as a buffer state uh, to uh, to cushion themselves to 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 buffer themselves from the Chinese influence, which was uh, there was a certain amount of Chinese influence in Tibet at the time, and they wanted uh, they wanted a buffer state in between. That's why they used Nepal as a buffer state. It's not like Nepal was fully independent. The Gorkhas fought for the British, didn't they? They still fight for the British. Uh, if you look at the incident in Jallianwala Bagh, who was firing the bullets? So that, that tells you a, a thing or two about uh, the relationship between the British and Nepal. It's like officially it was not occupied. 
but the Nepalese did have to do whatever the British told them. Yeah, so that was a situation. Okay, let's see something else. What do I think happens after death? I haven't the least clue, sir. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I'll let you know someday. <laughs> okay, why don't we see the Yeti? Because there's no evidence of it. It may be hidden, it may not exist. The Yeti may either be hidden very well or maybe the Yeti doesn't exist. Maybe it's just uh, people seeing bears or something like that and it looks like something different, you know. So there's been this uh, legend of this beast living in the Himalayas for a very, very, very long time. The British have reported about it. About it. The Tibetans speak about it. The Bhutanese, the Sikkimese speak about it. There is an entire highway in India that passes through Yeti territory, apparently. And yet nobody has been able to capture one alive, capture and or, or uh, find a dead body of a Yeti, or even take a photograph of a video or a video of Yeti. So maybe it doesn't exist. Maybe it's just a hoax. Or maybe it's very well hidden. That's what I can say. <laughs> These are the, the possibilities, right? Why is Indian Punjab not known as East Punjab like West Bengal? Okay, so we call Bengal West Bengal as opposed to East Bengal, which is Bangladesh. So why isn't Indian Punjab known as East Punjab? Well, I don't know. It, it's, up, it's up to us to call it whatever you want to call it. For instance, you have this region called Northeast India, which is not Northeast. It's actually the far east of India. It's not in the north. It's it's the far east of India. Just as Gujarat is the far west of India or Sindh Balochistan is the far west of the Indian subcontinent, that way, the so-called Northeast is actually the far east of India. But we call it the Northeast because the British used to call it. You know how the name Northeast came, came about? It's because it's, it's to the Northeast of Bengal. And the British used to call it the Northeast of Bengal, but the Indian Indian politicians and uh, historians started calling it just the Northeast. So that's how these silly names come about. The Northeast is actually the far east of India. Similarly, you can call Indian Punjab whatever you want to call it. You can call it East Punjab if you wish. For us, it's just Punjab because it's 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 the part of Punjab that we have. And uh, hopefully, in the future. Punjab will be reunited with India, the entirety of Punjab, which, which is a different matter. So it's, it's just semantics. Okay, let's see some other questions. How efficient is the plan to cut China out in the Malacca Strait, the Strait of Malacca, if they try to acquire Arunachal? Okay, so let's uh, go to the map and find out where is this place called Malacca. So let me share. Here we are. So this is the map. What is the Malacca Strait? It's not the creek of Malacca. It's a strait of Malacca. This here, this region here, if you can see, this is the Malacca Strait. It's a very narrow uh, strait between these two islands of Indonesia. And it's a choke point. So if you want to send a ship into the South China Sea or from the Indian Ocean into the Philippine Sea and the Pacific, you have to go through the Malacca Strait, right? And the vast majority of all the uh, trade that happens between China and the Western, the countries that are to the west of China, it happens through the Malacca Strait. 
so the thing is the 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 concept is that india the indian navy could very easily blockade the malacca strait and thereby cut off all supplies to china if need be it's a very good plan if you have a powerful a uh, navy if india has would have a powerful navy it could easily blockade the malacca choke point and uh, cause a big problem to china so by having a powerful navy india can make china behave in the north in tibet by being powerful in the in, in the indian ocean so it's a very good strategy but for that you need to have a really powerful navy right now the indian navy is essentially a glorified coast guard that's all it is that's what it is you know just to be brutally honest and frank i know lots of people are going to say no you're wrong no you're wrong you are mis- misplaced and your your contention is incorrect and all that but no the indian navy is not powerful enough right now india needs a much more powerful navy and powerful what do what is the what is the measure of the power of a navy how how do you measure the strength of a navy you don't measure the strength of the navy of a navy by the number of ships it has if you look at the indian navy it has a decent number of ships but out of all those ships how many warships do we have not too many how many destroyers does india have how many corvettes how many frigates how many missile boats does india have how many submarines the numbers aren't very flattering unfortunately right and what is the strength what is the measure of the power or the strength of a navy it's not the number of ships you can place on the water it's the number of missiles you can deploy at sea on any given day that is the measure of the strength of a navy and well i don't have the exact numbers but i can assure you that the japanese navy is way more powerful than indian, indian navy when it comes to the number of missiles it can deploy at any given time at any given point in time the japanese navy is more powerful than indian navy even though japan japan is a little country right india has a much bigger coastline a much bigger area of interest it it uh, india keeps saying that the indian ocean is our strategic backyard but slogans will not make the indian ocean our strategic backyard we need a much bigger much more expanded navy we need what's called distributed lethality in the in the indian ocean we need at least at least 50 submarines we need at least 100 destroyers and other ships of that kind we need lots of missile boats we need to have at any given point in time at least 1000 missiles anti ship and other missiles out at sea at any given point in time that's when you become a naval superpower and that's when you acquire the na- the ability to choke off the malacca strait at any given any any time of your choosing and the, the chinese navy won't be able to do a thing about it right now the chinese navy is soon going to be in a position to bully the indian navy in the indian ocean itself the chinese are churning out warships like sausages numbers it's all about numbers quantity has a quality of its own and i don't know what the indian planners are doing so so that's the problem right now so so you may disagree with me some of you you may say that the indian navy is very strong and all listen it's not i'm not and, and this is not a criticism of the valor and the courage and the skill of the personnel of the indian navy all i am saying is that we need many more warships 
India needs to start constructing warships on a war footing. India needs many more submarines. That's when you become a great power. Right now, India is not. So, so that's what it is. India has been uh, the most invaded country. Why did we not build a wall on our western border like China did to fend off the Mongols? You know, the Chinese built a wall and it had no effect on the, on the Mongols. The Mongols just uh, swept past the wall. The, the wall had was, was, it was not able to save China from the Mongols. You know, a wall does nothing. When you have technology, a wall is just like, it's, it's, it's pointless. So that's why when you have an efficient military, when you have the right strategies and tactics, walls do nothing. You can have a, a city with huge walls, very good anti-siege defenses, and yet you can be besieged and, 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 and cracked open. So in as, as technology uh, progresses, as, as technology advances, as new tactics and strategies uh, come, into, come into existence, these old tactics of building walls, they, they become completely pointless. And India is such a large, large subcontinent. You'll have to build a wall that's thousands of kilometers long. It'll be a multi-generational project, and yet it wants to uh, really uh, safeguard you from the invaders. So, so it's, it's, not it's not really practical. And uh, so that I, I suppose that's why a wall was never built or never even thought of. Right. Um, <laughs> there were lots of sudden invasion, inventions at the time of the World War. Do you think there was any alien intervention at the time? You know, when you have a war, it is essential to uh, develop new technology to in order to prevail, especially when you have something like a very major conflict, like a world war. So you have to start churning out new technology in order to gain the edge over your adversaries. And that's why the military is always the, the, the uh, domain from which a lot of new technology emerges, which eventually makes its way into the civilian sphere. Lots of spin-off technologies you will get eventually a few years, few decades down the line in the civilian sector, which all originated in the military domain. So these inventions, they happen out of necessity, out of a desire to survive and to prevail. There's no alien intervention that we know of. I mean, thus far in the entire recorded history of humankind, there is not one single proven alien encounter. There are all kinds of claims. There are all these videos around, but they're all pixelated, grainy, black and white or something. Nothing is ever something that is unambiguously true. So, you know, um, so one has to be very skeptical when it comes to these alien claims. It's nice fun. I mean, I'll be the happiest person if there is an actual proof of uh, an alien visitation to our planet. But thus far, I have not been able to find anything that is unambiguously true. And therefore, I can say that there was no alien intervention at all. Right. Mm. <laughs> History of Santa. 
no i am not an expert in the santa business so <laughs> uh, i have some rough idea but yeah let me not go into that because i i may be wrong and it's it's not something that i've any, ever been really interested in so so yeah i'm going to have to pass on this one but nice okay what else do we have okay let's see what this is harshit says as of now we have good relations with countries like the us france israel should we convince them to use the real map of india including pok and cok what's my opinion on this my opinion is very clear we can use any map we want but as long as the facts on the ground are the facts on the ground people will use other kinds of maps what india needs to do is not to try not convince people to use a different map india needs to change the facts on the ground the fact is that these territories are illegally occupied by other countries and as long as that situation exists other countries will draw maps that reflect that situation so convincing people to draw a different map and all that is an exercise in my opinion in my opinion it's an exercise in futility what india needs to work on is to redraw the maps on the actual ground and change the facts on the ground so that's what india needs to do okay what else do we have i can see what went wrong with bihar what went wrong with bihar is what went wrong with the rest of india the foreign invasions and the foreign occupation of india that's what what went wrong with bihar bihar was one of the greatest uh, regions of india i don't know when this name bihar came into existence it was typically uh, in the past known as magadh wasn't it the capital was patliputra which is now known as patna so it is one of the we could say in some sense it's the heartland of india right it was the the seat of great empires uh, the mauryan empire had its capital in patliputra the gupta empire sprang out of magadh it also had its capital initially in patliputra so it, bihar was the, um, one of the greatest uh, regions of india it produced so many great people so what happened was that it was destroyed during the colonial era during the turkic occupation of india and later during, during the british occupation of india the turks what they did was they destroyed all the universities all the culture all the temples etc and they installed their governors to to ruin the state to ruin the region further and then the british took over and this was simply flattened everything they destroyed everything whatever was left so that's what happened that's what went wrong with the state of bihar after independence after the transfer of power of 1947 you know how the country has been mismanaged misgoverned and ruined further so so that's what happened it's the people of bihar may not realize this they are the descendants of some of the greatest people who ever lived in this country so and and uh, it's it's because they're not taught this right it, like you say it was the one of the wealthiest culturally rich and greatest regions of india abundance of intellect and all that so the people of bihar need to uh need to be made aware of this that uh, there is a great deal of greatness in this region and in their ancestry 
and one hopes that Bihar will regain its lost glory in the future. Soon in the future, I hope. Okay. Physics. Astrophysics. What binds a galaxy together? Is it the supermassive black holes at the center? Are they so powerful to bind the galaxy together? Why do galaxies spin? What binds a galaxy together is the force of gravity. Gravitation. According to the classical theory of gravity, the Newtonian theory of gravity, um, all masses attract each other by the inverse square law, right? And that's what happens. So when you have a collection of, of massive bodies like stars, etc., then they will all clump together. And the very fact that they all come together imparts a certain spin to the body, which is the galaxy. And yes, they do. Most galaxies have a supermassive black hole at the center, which kind of also uh, helps in binding the galaxy together. So it's just the fact that you have gravity, the force of gravity, which which uh, causes galaxies to to be bound together. You also have these globular clusters of stars. You have dwarf galaxies. You have super clusters of galaxies as well. It's all because of the force of gravity that these structures are bound together. And the spin is because of the movement. I mean, when two bodies, uh, they experience the force of gravity, they, they move towards each other. So there's a motion in, in, in place. And when you have a whole bunch of such bodies which move towards the common uh, center of mass, then it's going to typically create this uh, spinning motion. That's why every single galaxy you will find it's, it spins. Every solar system, every stellar system spins. That's why every planet rotates, every star rotates. That's just the way the universe is. Okay, what else do we have? Why is there no mention of foreign civilizations or cities or people in Mahabharat Ramayana? Because India was the only civilization at the time. We have to understand what a civilization is. A civilization is different from a kingdom or from a city or a tribe or war, all that. A civilization essentially is a large geographical region with a single culture, a single connecting language, single cultural or civilizational language. And it has a great deal of prosperity, great deal of organization. It is under one political, typically, typically under one political power. Of course, a civilization can have lots of kingdoms within itself, but it's typically one single culture, one cultural or civilizational language, and all the institutions are governed by the same cultural norms and values of the entire civilization. And it's a region of great prosperity and stability, good standards of living, all that is characteristic of a civilization. So India in the old days was the only civilization that most likely existed. There was nothing else um, apart from India from a civilizational perspective. There may have been other tribes, other nomadic peoples, other kingdoms here and there, but no civilization. Right? So that is indeed the case. All right, um, Bumihar, I don't know what that is. Uh, 
what's the point of having a hope for a better life in kali yuga is there a point of continuing the civilization in this yuga well you have two options either you continue or you stop it's your choice it's like uh, it's like why what's the point of living is there a point of continuing this life <laughs> you know the the purpose of human life is to try and keep, keep on making progress we don't know the real purpose of what life is like and what is the uh, deeper philosophical spiritual meaning of existence is there life after death is there rebirth is there reincarnation do the gods exist we don't know but we have to try and live the best possible life that we can and we have to try and keep on we keep alive the endeavor to make the world a better place that's what gives you some hope and purpose in life otherwise you have this nihil some people have the nihilistic mindset that everything is pointless everything is worthless why live and why be moral let's be amoral let's indulge in all kinds of uh, immoral activities why why work hard let's go and sit and smoke and drink and all that you know so that that what what that ends up doing is that you end up living a worthless purposeless life and there is no happiness or joy or meaning in such a life right so it's it's up to you of course <laughs> it's your personal choice but from my perspective one must as long as one keeps drawing breath one needs to try and keep working towards making the world a better place and working towards make making one's life uh productive purposeful and something that is valuable to society and to the world at large okay um would an axis victory in the second world war have benefited india what role would subhash chandra bose have played in such a scenario well it all depends on how mr bose would have played his cards so if there was an axis victory in the second world war it would be it would essentially mean that the japanese would have been able to successfully invade india and defeat the british in that case what would have been the fate of india is the big question uh after that would mr bose have been would he have succeeded in in either evicting the japanese from india or or ruling india in 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 some kind of alliance with japan these are all hypothetical questions but uh, had the axis powers won it would all have boiled down to mr subhash bose's ability to do what was best for india because the japanese were the the japanese were ruthless they were quite brutal and uh, the way they treated indian prisoners of war was also quite brutal the way the uh, the kind of atrocities they perpetrated on the andaman in, in the andaman nicobar islands also is a chapter of history that has been kind of forgotten so had the japanese prevailed i am not sure if they would have allowed mr bose to uh, establish an independent government in india they would have either appointed tried to make him play the role of a japanese suzerain a puppet of sorts and if he had not been inclined to do that maybe they would have 
sidelined him, eliminated him perhaps, and put somebody else in place. So yeah, it's all hypothetical, but even an Axis victory would not possibly have been very good for India. Unless the, unless the Germans also got involved. So there are all kinds of hypothetical scenarios and parameters in there. But the best possible thing that should, would have happened was that the Japanese lost and Subhash Bose won. That would have been the ideal scenario for India. In which case India would have got real, genuine independence. Free from the British, free from the Congress, free from all the, all the bootlickers of the British. That would have been the ideal scenario. But as we know, that did not happen, unfortunately. Many Jain scholars say that Jainism is older than Hinduism. Is it true? See, I have not heard of any Jain scholars saying this. And there is no difference between Jainism and Hinduism. Jainism, Jain Dharma is one of the philosophical schools of thought of Sanatan Dharma. It falls within the umbrella of Sanatan Dharma. Therefore, there is no difference between Jainism and Hinduism. Right? Uh, <laughs> does Catherine the Great translate Bhagavad Gita? I don't know. <laughs> I, I haven't heard of any such thing. Very interesting question. But unfortunately, I don't have the answer. As far as I know, there was no connection. I'll see. Um... If we make a time machine, will we be able to travel before the Big Bang? Well, first of all, there is no way to make a time machine. There is nothing in the laws of physics that says that we can have a time machine. And there is no technology that exists that could possibly take us further forward or backwards in time. And the funny thing is that even if such a technology was possible, if you went backwards in time, you would end up in empty space. Because the Earth is constantly moving in space. If you go back in time, you're going to be stuck in a point in space where the earth wasn't there at the time. So, you know, <laughs> it's all nice uh, from the perspective of science fiction and all that, but it it's not really possible in the real world. And even if such a machine were possible, I don't think it's possible to go beyond the confines of the universe that we are part of. So, no, even if a time machine were, were, were to be possible we would not be able to travel before the beginning of the universe, which is the Big Bang. Okay. Um, who was Giordano Bruno? Why did the priests kill him brutally? Did he know something which offended them? Giordano Bruno was a monk, a, a Christian monk in Europe. He was clearly uh, clearly Italian and he is somebody who went beyond what was acceptable in Christian doctrine. So he speculated that there must be other worlds out there. He, I think he said some certain things that were considered to be heretical. I don't remember exactly what he said, but the kind of speculation most likely which he did was that the earth is not the center of the universe and there are other earths out there on which there are other people and that sort of thing. I think that's the kind of that's the kind of statements he made and that's what, he's, uh, what he really believed. And maybe he also believed that there is divinity in all plants, animals, other things, not just humans. 
which kind of goes against the one book one god one prophet uh, thing that uh, you know which they have so i think initially he was persecuted he was excommunicated exiled or whatever but he did not stop so eventually what happened is that they burnt him alive they burnt him alive that's what they did did he know something that offended them no it is not the knowledge that he had he had no special knowledge uh, knowledge as such but the views that he held and the views that he communicated openly were heretical views these are views that the church found extremely dangerous because it would make people believe that god is is attainable to everyone with or without the church think about the church is that they had this stranglehold on the people of europe and according to the doctrine the, the church doctrine the only way i mean first of all all humans are born sinners so you are by default going to hell but if you uh, live the kind of life the church orders you to live <clears throat> then then before you die a priest may forgive you or give you absolution or 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 shrive you or something like that and it is only through the path of the church that you can go to heaven and that's what the church is the all powerful body and that sort of thing so and and you are essentially a sinner and there's only one god out there in heaven there's no god anywhere else and giordano bruno was kind of i think he was of the opinion that there is divinity in everybody so that is deep deep heresy so that's why they they killed him by burning him at the stake so that's the that's the story roughly about giordano bruno there may be some 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 small changes here and there but i think i got the overall story right okay uh what else do we have Is it true that the red fort of Delhi was made by Maharaj Anangapal the second? I am not really very sure. Not really sure. There are clearly uh, older, older fort structures in Delhi. Uh, the fort made by Prithviraj Chauhan is also there. I am not quite sure about the red fort. Was it made by Maharaj Anangapal the second? It may possibly be the case, but I am not hundred percent sure. I think I will have to look this up. and uh, ask me this again next time i hopefully will have a more definitive answer to this interesting question prakriti says what would have happened if there are no black holes with cleopatra no what <laughs> what would have happened if there is no black holes in the universe my opinion on cleopatra did akhenaten have indian genetics What is the death ministry of Nana Saheb? Oh my goodness! How many questions have you put in this? <laughs> okay, if there were no black holes in the universe, the universe would have been a very different place. Um, so it is. It is uh, most likely that in the very early universe, uh, there was this overproduction of microscopic primordial black holes because of quantum fluctuations. If that did not happen, then the universe would have been a very different place. Maybe there would have been no galaxies because these primordial black holes are believed to have become the eventual supermassive black holes, and they uh, are what kind of uh, made galaxies clump, clump together. So, if there were no black holes, then 
it would mean that the laws that we have in the universe would have been different because black holes were created black hole production happened because the laws the physical laws of the universe have have a certain shape and form and if no black holes were there in the early universe or the present day universe that means the laws would have been different so it would have been a very different universe my opinion on cleopatra great lady ikhnathan did he have indian genetics i think many of the pharaohs ha- of 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 uh, of of egypt had indian origin genetics r1b i believe i think tutankhamun had the r1 uh, w- was a member of the r1b haplogroup which is a descendant of r1 which is a descendant of r which is a de- descendant eventually of the haplogroup f which are all indian origin haplogroups which is very interesting death mystery of nana saheb i'm not quite sure unfortunately i'm not very sure about that all right um what's happening between russia and ukraine is the world war 3 inevitable see nothing is inevitable the russians nobody wants war these are all um, these are all games on the geopolitical chessboard of the world mr putin is making a certain play right now a geopolitical play russia is currently not a very big economy as you know it may not be even in the top 10 economies of the world right now but it is a, de- a genuine military superpower it has the biggest nuclear arsenal in the world it has a very big geography its economy is dependent on uh, on gas on gas and uh, other uh, uh, exports and the thing is that uh, there is a danger that the uh, russians may get overwhelmed by either the us or the chinese so they are making their presence felt in europe and they are being encircled in europe by nato to a certain extent there are nato missiles pointed at russia from close to the russian borders so the russians are applying pressure on ukraine because ukraine is leaning towards nato so there is this entire situation that's happening right now so mr putin may either possible see we don't know what's going on in the head of mr putin mr putin will never let anyone know what is thinking so there are certain options either mr putin genuinely wants to invade ukraine and annex the territory so he will do it if he has calculated that there will not be any major repercussions or he is pressurizing nato he is pressurizing europe he is showing the european union that they are powerless to stop him right he is raising his geopolitical profile and uh, becoming one of the three major uh, geopolitical players in the world he may be telling the us that i am open to negotiating with you he also wants to offset china so there are a number of possibilities and different scenarios at play right now we don't quite know what it is i am not in the game of making predictions whether he's going to invade or not but i can guarantee one thing he doesn't want world war 3 world war 3 will cause untold destruction it will destroy the russian economy the chinese economy the american economy and other economies as well nobody wants that sort of catastrophic war so everybody knows more or less what the red lines are and one plays within that in geopolitics
All right, all right, all right. What do we have? What else do we have? What are my views on the Mitanni kingdom of Syria? I have a couple of videos about the Mitanni. It's, it was a great, very interesting uh, kingdom. They were of Indian origin. The, the, the notable thing about the Mitanni kingdom is that their aristocracy, the royalty was of Indian origin. They spoke late Vedic Sanskrit. The common people spoke the Hurrian language, I believe. But the aristocracy spoke Sanskrit, which means that the Mitanni kingdom was ruled by the, the aristocracy was Indians who had migrated westwards from India. This is about three and a half thousand years before today. So these, I mean, these are the facts. I don't have any specific views. I can tell you the, what the facts are. I, I think I've spoken about this multiple times in the past. So maybe you can check out some of my earlier videos and you may get more information from there. All right. Mm, what else do we have? Why don't we change the wrong history taught in the textbooks? Well, the textbooks are in, I mean, they, they are, uh, the, the writing of the textbooks, changing of textbooks, etc. It's all something that the government needs to do. I, what we can do as individuals is we can write our own books, but those won't be adopted as textbooks in NCERT or any other school board, college board, university board. So the official textbooks, if you want to change them, the government must do that. The government must take the initiative. So for whatever reason, that is not happening right now. So one hopes that in the future, sooner rather than later, there will be some progress in that direction because clearly our history is greatly distorted. Okay, uh, Ryuzaki says, how Japan be being a Dharmic country was so adharmic and ruthless in World War II? It's because of the Meiji Restoration. So there was this event in Japan called the Meiji Restoration. The Meiji Emperor of Japan in the middle of the 19th century, he uh, unleashed this revolution of sorts. He called it, the, it's called the Meiji Restoration. So what he did was he tried to turn Japan into a copy of the West. He tried to westernize Japan thoroughly. He tried to eradicate Buddhism from Japan. And this attempt failed. He tried to wipe out Buddhism and make Shinto the state religion of Japan. That failed. It did not work. But what he did succeed in doing is to... Uh, is to essentially uh, destroy the primacy of the samurai warriors of Japan, who were typically the Kshatriyas of Japan. They were staunch Buddhists, the samurai. So he uh, made them powerless. He ended, essentially, he destroyed the institution of the, of the samurai. And he adopted a complete Western system in the governance, in the armed forces, in the bureaucracy, and everything else. So he tried to completely westernize Japan. He was against Buddhism. He was against Dharma. The people continued to follow Buddhism. Japan is still, you could say to a large extent, Buddhist, Shinto, uh, intermixed, syncretized. But the Meiji emperor of Japan adharmified himself. Right? So he stopped following the precepts of Dharma and the Japanese uh, imperial dynasty kind of continued that after his death. 
So in World War II, even though Japan was a Dharmic nation, the governance, the military, etc. was completely westernized and it was completely adharmic. And that's why they took those, they did those things that are so barbaric and brutal, the kind of things they did in Nanjing, the, the Nanjing in China, the, the treatment of the Chinese whom they, they, they had conquered China, the treatment of prisoners of war and all the other atrocities they perpetrated, Japanese soldiers, it's because they abandoned dharma. Right? So people have asked in the past that if, if, if uh, Asian empires were dharmic and that's why they, they did not do certain things like colonization and so on, why did Japan do that during the Second World War? It's because they had abandoned dharma. That's why they tried to co- conquer and colonize the whole of Asia. And the the kind of atrocities they perpetrated were well terrible, absolutely terrible, in China, in Korea, other places as well. So that's an interesting question that you've asked. Okay, what else do we have? Okay, Pratya Banerjee says, who are these so-called Turks geographically? Where do are they originally from? Please show in a map. As you say, sir, or, or ma'am, whatever. So this here is the map. As we know, over here in Western Asia, we have the nation of Turkey. So who are the Turks? The Turks are the descendants of the ancient Hunnic people of Eastern Asia. The the Hunnic people, uh, they are recorded about two and a half thousand years ago. The Chinese called them the Xionyu people. So the Hunnic peoples were the ancestors of the Mongols as well as the Turks. Initially, the Turks followed the same culture, the same uh, religious practices as the Mongols. Tengrism. It's a polytheistic, uh, you could say religion, if you want to call it a religion. So the origin of the Turkic people is somewhere in this region. Can you see my mouse pointer here? This is Mongolia. So it's somewhere here in Eastern Asia. And it is uh, maybe somewhere here. So if you look at this entire region, Eurasia, then most of Eastern Russia, what is now Russia, most of it is inhabited by people who speak Turkic languages. All of it. The entirety of Siberia essentially is inhabited by Turkic-speaking people. So there's this big Turkic diaspora in this entire region. It all originated somewhere in this region, somewhere here. The Gobi Desert, the the plains of Mongolia, northern present-day China. So this was the original homeland of the Hunnic people. And it is from the Hunnic peoples, their descendants were the Mongols and the Turks. The Mongols remained in Mongolia and the Turks, they spread across uh, Eurasia and they displaced and kind of wiped out the Scythians from Central Asia. So that in brief is the story of the Turks and eventually they they uh, invaded Eastern Greece, Anatolia, which is now called Turkey. So that in brief is the story of the Turkic people. All right. Mm, what else do we have? Why don't some Indians? Why do some Indians not want to go out of Bharat? 
I think it's a matter of personal choice. Some people want to go out and travel. Maybe some people want to go and settle somewhere else. Some people want to stay in India. I think it's a matter of personal choice. You will have to ask them. I don't. I am not privy to everybody's <laughs> to what's what goes on in people's minds. But it's a mixed bag. Have I had any paranormal experiences? Not really. Not quite really. <laughs> Okay. Um, what else do we have? The future of gaming in India, Sangeeta says, or Sangeeta asks, I think gaming has a bright future in India. I think lots of uh, kids, lots of teenagers are quite fond of gaming. So, uh, Gaming is something that is catching on. You also have these eSports and all that. You have the Playstations, the Xboxes. You have uh, PC games, eSports and all that. So there's a lot of interest in gaming, especially among the so-called Generation Z, the Zoomers, yes. And in the future, you may even see game development happening in India, which would be a very welcome step. There are already some games that have been um, that have been created in India with, with Indian cultural themes and all, maybe one or two games like that. So maybe that might take off in the future. So I think there is a good future of gaming in India. It's certainly something that is going to take off, it looks like. All right. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? What are my views on the dinosaur embryo found in China? Is there any chance that China is aiming to do anything else using this embryo thing? I think it's nice they found, I, I heard they found a very well-preserved embryo inside a dinosaur egg. That's what I heard. I'm not very sure about all the details about this. What are my views? I think it's a great thing. The Chinese are uh, investing a lot of uh, time, money, effort, all that in paleontology and that's paying off. So it's good. What else can they do with this embryo thing? I am not sure they can do anything beyond study it properly and put it in a museum and display it. I mean, what else can you do with an, with an embryo, a dinosaur embryo? So I guess that's that's the extent to which they could do something. Okay, Rudra says, can we change our DNA as shown in Ben 10 being transformed into entire new alien body using the DNA? How much of it is true or is it possible in the near future? Ben 10 is some anime series, is it? I suppose I've heard something like most likely anime. So listen, what they show in anime serials and uh, in science fiction is all science fiction. It's, it's very dangerous to try and play with human DNA. Human DNA is incredibly complex and we don't understand more than 3-4% of it. We don't understand more than 3-4% of human DNA. There is this so-called DNA dark matter that we don't understand at all. There are so many sequences that we don't know what they code for. And you know what? More than 50% of human DNA is of viral origin, ancient viruses that combine with us and so on. There is so much we don't know about it. And some people are using CRISPR to change certain things. They don't know 
what are going to be the consequences of this several generations down the line it's very dangerous to start playing god and and changing dna and all that you know so and and if you want to transform into an alien body you, you will first need to know what kind of dna an alien body would have and we have no alien, alien bodies at our disposal that we can examine and see what sort of dna will be there so it's not possible not in the near future maybe not even in the far future why would one want to do this first of all why would somebody want a different kind of body so you know it's it's uh, all right now in the realm of science fiction it is very dangerous to try and alter dna without fully understanding the repercussions so i don't think it's going to be possible in the near or even the moderately distant future okay i am asked the kalpa vigraha question so many times i don't know much about it unfortunately i have tried looking for inform- see this question here i have tried to look for the kalpa for information about this so called kalpa vigraha idol idol i haven't found any any definitive information about this idol i mean what is the evidence it is this this much these many years old and where is this idol found i think it's some kind of a metal idol metal structure metal metal murti of something there is no way you can date a metallic object if it's an organic thing with carbon we can date it using carbon dating but a metallic object how do you know how old it is you can't really tell so i i i don't know much about this unfortunately i don't have enough information do wormholes exist we don't know we have never observed any but hypothetically they could all right what else do we have oh man who are the true aryans first of all so clearly shubham you you seem to believe that white people are aryans right that's what you think <laughs> i think i have to explain this in every single session that the only people who can genuinely be called aryans are indians or the iranians our 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 close relatives the iranians nobody else can be called aryans white people european people are not aryans the true aryans are indians you shubham are a true aryan all indians and all iranians when i say indians i mean the entire indian subcontinent we are the true aryans nobody else is an aryan europeans are not aryans germans are not aryans greeks are not aryans only indians and iranians are aryans the kalash people are indian that's why they are true aryans just like the bengalis just like the sinhalese just like the kashmiris just like the marwaris just like the odias just like the pashtuns just like the persians just like the balochis these are all the real aryans everybody else are fake aryans the germans are fake aryans europeans are fake aryans they are not aryans end of story okay mm, what else do we have uh... can entertainment like cinema and video games boost a country's soft power yes it can see japan see how popular japan is see how much people admire japanese culture see how 
cool they think Japanese culture is. It's all because of cinema, video games, and anime. Right? So yes, you're right. It certainly can boost a country's soft power. Google Maps is fake. Russia is oversized. Africa is much bigger. Why are they not changing it? There is how see the the the, the challenge is this. Uh, it's not fake. It is what you will see on every map. The challenge, the problem is that you have to represent a three-dimensional sphere on a two-dimensional surface. And that's why you have all these distortions. Yes, you're right. Africa is much bigger. And Russia is oversized. If you look at the globe, if you look at the map of the world on, a, on an actual globe, you will see the real dimensions and the real contours of the continents. But if you project the three-dimensional sphere on a two-dimensional surface, it is inevitably going to throw up distortions. I think this is called the Mercantor projection, if I am not mistaken, or something like that. So it is not fake. It is as accurate as you can possibly make it. And it's just the problem is that you cannot accurately represent a three-dimensional surface object on a two-dimensional surface. You will have to distort some parts of it. But you know what? It's a good observation that you have made. Most people are not aware of this. So very good observation, sir. Uh, my thoughts on Vogue culture, uh, I have spoken about this at length. You can check it out in my previous videos, one of my previous videos, one of the short clips. I'm sure I have it. Um, Paritosh says, my opinion on the people who claim that they have spoken to aliens, met aliens, other things, watched UFOs. <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I... I I am a big skeptic. When I was a kid, I was so interested in UFOs. I, I really wanted UFOs to exist and aliens to have visited the planet. But as you grow up, you, you come face to face with reality. And I have not seen a single proven case, a single case of an alien visitation, alien encounter, UFO, whatever you call it, a single case that can be proven without doubt. So these are just claims. People claim they have seen ghosts. I have never seen a ghost. Right? So people make all kinds of claims. Maybe they genuinely believe that they have met aliens. But then can you please show a video of you talking to the alien or a photograph selfie, selfie with you and the alien or some evidence that we can actually see and believe? No. So I am very skeptical about this. I am sure some people actually believe it, that it actually happened, but unfortunately, none of them is ever able to produce any real evidence. So what can I say? Hmm. Um, what else do we have? What else do we have? Peter projection. Okay. Peter projection. Okay, what else do we have? What else do we have? Um, how can we change the world's view on the swastika? It's bad image made by the Nazis by speaking the truth and by uh, by by reclaiming the swastika, all of us. 
so i have answered this question more times than i can remember superior culture doesn't mean superior military if you have a great culture great civilization and if you don't take the military measures to defend your culture and civilization then what's the point of having it what's the point of having great monuments great temples great culture great civilization if you will not, and and the richest country in the world if you don't build a powerful military that can safeguard it so when we talk about superiority we're talking about civilizational cultural superiority right and wealth but unfortunately we lacked political unity when the turkic invasions happened and that's why we were not able to defend ourselves and of course we had certain certain kings who forgot or disregarded the teachings of vishnugupta chanakya and that's why we lost so that's what happens um mr singh says how do you see the hindus of pakistan any specific role you see we can provide in the revival of bharat love from now pakistan nice to uh, have a hindu from pakistan over here um we wish you the best i uh, what are my views i think the hindus of pakistan are terribly oppressed they are undergoing an active genocide we know what's happening to the unfortunately to the girls and and women in the hindu community of pakistan they are being abducted you hear these reports almost every day of a of a pakistani hindu girl being abducted and married off to some pakistani person and the state the establishment is actively complicit in all this in in allowing this to happen it's it's terrible it's terrible so what can the pakistani hindus do uh, what role can the can they play in the revival of bharat unfortunately as of today what what role can the pakistani hindus play they are power, power, powerless right now right so i think it is for india to find a way to somehow safeguard the interests of pakistani hindus which is not happening right now many pakistani hindus are coming to india as refugees and they are living in terrible conditions in india so i think as of today because of the complete powerless uh, state that pakistani hindus are in i don't think they can play any real role in the revival of bharat the revival of bharat will have to happen first from bharat from within bharat itself and once bharat is revived enough strong enough powerful enough then it can take care of the interests of pakistani hindus and all pakistanis who are all victims of the of what's happening there so so i certainly um wish the pakistani hindus all the best for sure okay what was the purpose of the acropolis what do people do there exactly what is the purpose of the acropolis today it's a tourist spot it's a tourist monument people go there and take selfies and take pictures and take drone videos and all that what was the original purpose of the acropolis it was some kind of temple to the greek gods i, I don't remember which god or goddess it was was it one god or goddess or was it multiple gods and goddesses that were that were worshiped in the temple i don't remember i'm not quite sure but it was a greek temple to to one of the greek gods goddesses or multiple that's what i can say 
Okay, what else do we have? Lots of questions. <laughs> what did people use to light fire before Matchbox and Lighter? Somebody had asked me that. <laughs> I remember seeing some questions some a couple of days ago that the Matchbox was invented by Europeans. So how did Indians celebrate Diwali before the Matchbox was invented? <laughs> you know, there are lots of ways of lighting a fire. There are many there are many techniques that you can use. You would consider some of these to be primitive techniques. But do you know that the gunpowder was actually invented in India, not in China? Gunpowder, which is the integral component of the matchbox, was invented in India. The invent it's an Indian invention. It made its way to China. The Europeans saw it in China first, so they say the Chinese invented gunpowder, which is nonsense. It is an Indian invention, and since it was invented in India, I am sure we had something or other which which uh, which used gunpowder as a means of lighting small fires, controlled fires, must have been there. Unfortunately, we've lost a lot of this information, but India was the greatest civilization in the ancient times, and I'm sure they had lots of different ways of lighting fires. I have uh, answered this question in great depth multiple times. What do I think about brain drain, going to Western countries for better living standards, income? Well, people do what people have to do. Unfortunately, in the past 70 years, there has been a very big scarcity of jobs and, and everything else in India. So people, whenever they could, they moved out of India. There was nothing they could do. Patriots were not welcome in India. Talented people were not welcome in India. India was the India still is a nation of very low standards. India is still a nation of mediocrity. The Indian establishment loves mediocrity. The Indian education system loves mediocrity. The Indian education system specializes in identifying talent and destroying it. It specializes in promoting mediocrity, identifying mediocrity and promoting it. That's the kind of system the Nehruvian regime created and the other subsequent regimes kept on uh, promoting. So people had no option. Anybody who had any talent and had any ambition in life were forced to move out of India. And yes, that is what causes the brain drain. That's what causes the brain drain. India is losing all its talent to other countries. You can see how many Indian origin CEOs you have in the West, in the US and other countries. Right? Doctors, CEOs, Engineers, uh, entrepreneurs, startup founders, Silicon Valley, and so much more. So yes, we are losing our best talent to other countries because the Indian system, even today, even today, is a system of mediocrity. Go to any IIT, you will see that their conference rooms and washrooms are state of the art, best in the world. They have invested crores of rupees in their conference rooms and in their washrooms. Now go to the lab in any IIT. You will find all equipment is 20, 30 years old. Everything is obsolete. So how do you expect the IITs to do any world-class research today? And see the attitude of the professors, the, the majority of them. There are obviously some good individuals, some good professors, but see the attitude of 90% of the professors. They, are, they have no interest in any progress, any development any research, 
go to any university in india you will find the same thing it's a country of mediocrity it's not a country of mediocre people the governance and the establishment values mediocrity right so that's why people are forced to leave you can't blame them you can't blame them hopefully in the next few years we will see changes uh, one does see some small signs of changes here and there but overall the system is very mediocre and people don't realize that we are a nation of very low standards we are a nation that tolerates failure a nation that tolerates failure among its leaders and most of our leaders not all most of them tolerate failure among their subordinates so it's a country of of very low standards unfortunately so that's why people who have ambitions people who value themselves they they have no option but to leave the country even if even though they may actually love the country so that's what i can say about this right a presidential system would be a good change it would certainly be better than the current system we have okay how many questions how did scientists take a picture of the milky way galaxy so we are inside the milky way galaxy so we cannot take a picture of the milky way galaxy from outside we can only see the shape of the galaxy from side on and we can only guess at the size and the shape of the galaxy we know the size of the galaxy we know that it's more or less a spiral galaxy but we don't have the exact details because we are we are inside it right so the pictures we take of the galaxy are not the kind of uh, picture you would see of the andromeda galaxy or the sombrero galaxy or other spiral galaxies right is it true that time flows differently in the quantum world we don't even know if time has any meaning in the quantum world right we use time as an external parameter in the quantum world as as a, when you see the schrodinger equation there is a, the the uh, derivative with with respect to time but we are using time over there in the classical sense not in, in not in a quantum sense we are using time as an external classical parameter in quantum mechanics but does does time have an actual quantum meaning we don't know does time even exist in the quantum world we don't know is it something that emerges out of, out of the quantum world we don't know does time flow in the quantum world <laughs> uh these are questions that haven't quite been answered thus far yeah so so can't really answer we do use time in in the quantum world in the schrodinger equation and so on but it's still an external classical concept if you know the difference between the classical world and the quantum world right what else we have we see mohandas gandhi's photograph on all our currencies can we change it to other people like netaji listen if i were in charge of the currencies i would change it but we are not in charge of it i don't know who's in the rbi is it the government of india I don't, i'm not sure who makes these decisions they are the ones who can change it we cannot change it we the people we the people are powerless in this so called democracy right we the people are actually powerless in this, in this democracy we don't really have any decision making ability right mm. 
Krishna Mohan uh, says, has Britain fought an unjust war against the Maratha Empire? If not, how come the Marathas who drove out the Mughals failed against the British in the Third Anglo-Maratha War? What could be unjust in a war? There is no justice in a war. A war is not a, a, um, a contest of who is just and who is unjust. Right? There is no morality or ethics in warfare. It's all about winning. There is no unjust war. War is war. So the British were foreign occupiers who did not belong in India, but they had superior firepower, superior tactics, superior strategies. And the Marathas, unfortunately, um, because of a variety of reasons, they lost eventually to the British. There is nothing unjust in a war. Right? There is nothing... See, money (laughs) isn't good or bad. Money is just money. It's it's value. It's it's a measure of value. Power isn't good or bad. It's just the measure of the strength that you have. Right? Similarly, in, in war, you use these things, these tools, and whoever wins, wins. There is nothing right or wrong, just or unjust, fair or unfair. The only objective in war is to win. Okay, what else do we have? Is the concept of rebirth rebirth scientific? It's not a scientific concept. It's a philosophical or spiritual concept. It is not something that is part of science because we have never observed evidence. I mean, there is no way of proving that rebirth happened. There is no scientific way of proving that rebirth happened because the rebirth is the... Uh, it is the soul being transmigrated from one body to another after death taking place or taking birth in a new body. But this concept of the soul itself is an unscientific concept. It is a philosophical and spiritual concept. It's not a scientific concept. Why do I say it's not a scientific concept? Because science is concerned with observable phenomena, measurable phenomena, and the physical world. The soul is not a physical object. It is a spiritual object, right? So that's why this is not a scientific concept. It's a philosophical or spiritual concept <laughs> Dungar Singh Chauhan says how does curse work I don't know I may not be the right person to I, I certainly am not the right person to ask this question I don't know how curses work all right um what are my views on a certain person? Views don't matter, man. Views don't matter. Facts matter. Um, what do you think is the likelihood of a Hindu state separating out of India? Would you entertain that? Why or why not? The likelihood is that Hinduism will become extinct in the next 50 to 100 years. A Hindu state separating out of India. Hindus are not. Hindus have never been separatists, right? Hindus consider India to be their homeland. Why would Hindus want to separate out of India, a separate Hindu Hindu state? I think the likelihood is extraordinarily low, like one in a billion. So that's what I can say. 
All right. Um, uh, what else do we have? Were the Shudras actually not allowed to study in the ancient Gurukul system? Please read the work of um, what's his name? The Beautiful Tree. The Beautiful Tree. Who's the author? I forget the name of the author. Dharampal. Read his work and you will get the answer. This is not this is not true. All right. Mm. There is plenty of evidence for life after life. Life after death, I hope you mean. Please see, is there life after death moderated by John Cleese? What do you mean by evidence? What is what what constitutes evidence? The question is in science, in science. What constitutes evidence? When someone comes and claims, oh, this has happened, does it mean that there's evidence? That is the kind of evidence you have in a court of law, that this person has made a claim. In science, evidence is measurable and observable. Right? I am sure many people have made claims and you may be interpreting that as evidence. That is not evidence in the world of science. In the world of science, Evidence is something that is observed and measured by multiple independent observers and multiple independent experiments. That is how it works in science. So people will make movies, documentaries, discussions. They will have all kinds of people who will make, come and make claims. That is not scientific evidence. It does not constitute evidence in science. Right? So that's what I can say. I am I know, I am aware of lots of people having made this claim that there is a rebirth and the, the so and so person was has been reborn reborn as a child and they, he or she can remember everything from a past life. Okay, fine, but still it does not constitute it, it does not represent scientific evidence. It's simply claims that people are making. Can you tell about the Vakatak dynasty? I think I will have to make a detailed video about that. It's a very interesting uh, dynasty, a very interesting phase of Indian history. It's uh, the kingdom was almost like an empire. It was quite big. So I think I will I will take that up separately. I, it's a very long. It's, a, it's not something I can explain in like two three minutes, but it is certainly something I will take up properly in detail in the future. The answer to this is no. Mm. Uh, the virus will keep evolving. Do you think humanity is going to end soon? I don't think humanity is going to end. See, viruses, they keep evolving. You're right. And the purpose of a virus is to survive. That's how you evolve. You don't evolve in a way that will kill you. If a virus keeps killing the human host, the virus itself dies. The virus doesn't, it, it will evolve in such a way that it will become less harmful to humans. We have all heard of the Omicron variety of the virus, right? It is a less deadly form of the virus, but it is more transmissible. So that is how a virus evolves. It changes 
in such a way that it will cause less harm to the host and it will be more transmissible. So after Omicron, whatever next comes will be even more transmissible and even less deadly. So humanity is not going to end soon. This is not a danger, very dangerous virus. I know it kills some people. Even the flu virus kills people, right? Are we, are, we, are we thinking that humanity will end soon because of the flu virus? Every year there's a new variant of the flu come, which comes out, right? Does anyone bother? The thing, the thing is that this virus is going to become is going to become less deadly and maybe more transmissible. It's not going to cause big problems to humanity. Uh, how did the did the old Indian education system promote or allow hitting students by teachers? It is considered unethical these days. I think this entire practice of hitting students came with the Catholic schools. I think even today in Catholic schools and convent schools and missionary schools, it is a common practice to to beat children, to beat children with sticks or rulers or whatever. I don't think it was there in the Indian education system, the pre-colonial ed education system. It's a characteristic of the um, British system and the Christian system. If you watch the, what do you watch? There's the song by Pink Floyd, um, Another Brick in the Wall, We Don't Need No Education, all that. See the video, there's this English schoolmaster, school teacher who's hitting students with a stick. So that's a British and Christian thing. It's not an Indian thing. I heard that Hindu is not a foreign term. It is written in the Rig Veda and other ancient scriptures. No, it's a foreign term. Indians never call themselves Hindus. The term Hindu came from the, from the river Sindhu, which is the which is called Indus in English. Our, our Parsi friends, the Persians, our Persian cousins, they pronounced words differently. Their language was the, almost the same as Sanskrit, but they pronounced words differently. So instead of Sir, they said Ha. So instead of Sindhu, they said Hindu. And that's how this word originated. And then this region became known as the Hindu region to the Persians. And then they started calling Indians as the people of the Hindu region. And then the Turks and the Arabs also picked up this practice. So it's an exonym. It's a word used by foreigners, but now Indians call themselves Hindus. I mean, now it is it is used for the people who uh, follow the ancient culture and uh, civilization and religion of India, which is Sanatan Dharma. They're called Hindus now. So that's what happened. It is not something that came out of Indian literary texts and religious texts, sacred texts. Huh, what is my opinion on gender fluidity? Do you think gender and sex are separate? See, I am very clear about this. A person who has two X chromosomes is a female. A person who has one X chromosome and one Y chromosome is a male. That's the simple definition of male and female. These days, everything is a social construct. Gender is a social construct. Everything is, you know, this this woke nonsense is, is ruining the Western world. It's best we don't get into all that, right? So that's my opinion. about. I don't even know what gender fluidity is. I mean, do you keep trans, 
transforming from one gender to another half the time you're male half the time you're female today morning i was male tomorrow evening i'll be female does it work like that really come on all right what what do we have okay let let's see this rajkumar says if in the future i will take control of the asi or open my own archaeological service society <laughs> will you be my guide oh yes certainly please do it and contact me i will be your guide sir and i wish you the best i w- i hope that you succeed in this endeavor of yours all right um what else do we have you said there was no evidence for jesus but what about mentions by tacitus and josephus i haven't seen the these mentions by tacitus or josephus what i said is that there is no archaeological or any other evidence of jesus the same way that there is no archaeological or other evidence of alexander people have made all kinds of claims but where is the archaeological evidence see it is the same line of argument that the west uses for the ramayana and the mahabharat where is the evidence unfortunately now there is archaeological evidence for both these eras of india's history both these uh, events but where is the archaeological evidence for alexander or jesus archaeological hard evidence not people making claims tacitus josephus olivius anybody can make any kind of claim i don't care about people's words i want to see our hard archaeological evidence where is it show me there is none neither for alexander nor for 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 jesus okay what else do we have what's the geopolitical advantage of the andaman islands why isn't the government putting efforts to use it in the indian advantage the andaman islands give us a brilliant uh, staging place for all kinds of activities in the indian ocean region it can uh, if we have naval bases air force bases there we can easily choke off the malacca uh, malacca strait it's essentially an unsinkable aircraft carrier we can use it like that why isn't the government doing whatever well we need to ask the government we we i cannot answer on behalf of the government right so i would certainly advocate using the andaman islands as as a military base for the army air uh, for the air force and for the navy as well it would be very beneficial for india geopolitically and militarily all right how do we differentiate between right and wrong information how to identify the right source of information how to okay okay let's let's take one thing at a time i'll take the first question how do you differentiate between right and wrong information you do it if you have sufficient knowledge otherwise you will never know which information is right which information is wrong you may trust people that you feel are some is is someone who gives you the right information but that is a matter of trust and faith but even somebody whom you trust may perhaps be wrong in something 
so you will not be able to tell unless you yourself have sufficient knowledge so the best way to equip yourself to be able to differentiate between right and wrong information is to become knowledgeable and well informed yourself which is a long process there is no shortcut to this unfortunately unfortunately okay where do what else do we have what is my name um <laughs> your name is what i see there what is going to say uh okay what else do we have um my thoughts my thoughts about the james webb space telescope did you see my yesterday's live stream is the first question i took the james webb space telescope it is if it if it succeeds if it uh, if it performs as we expect it to then it's going to open up a whole new window into the universe it's going to act as a time machine and we'll be able to see the very beginning of the of the universe not the big bang itself but the births of the first stars the first galaxies all that but that's still about 6 months away the telescope is right now on its way towards its final destination which is in orbit around the l2 lagrange point and uh, a lot can go wrong in the way it's a million and a half kilometers away from here from from our planet once it reaches there it it will it will be unfolding itself on the way and uh, a lot of things will have to go right for it to be able to function as as planned and it's a 6 month long process and if everything goes well then it's going to start making the observations 6 months from today so it's a long process but i hope it succeeds because if it does then it's going to be brilliant for us it's going to it's going to give us information that maybe we may not even have imagined possible you know so we will learn a lot if it if it works okay what else do we have we have lots of repeated questions um uh what else do we have what else do we have uh karthik says india and china got independence around the same time then why is it that china is ahead of us economically militarily global impact etc because they they because we had nehru the nehruvian regime and later regimes that simply did not care about the development of the country and the chinese communist party was interested in developing the country and becoming a superpower two completely different trajectories until the 1990s both countries were almost equally poor and then the chinese uh, went upon embarked upon this project of modernization of everything and as you can see it has worked and india is still plodding along now i think hopefully 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 things will change for the better in the next 20 years 
but just see the history and say you can see why they, why it happened because our, our leaders our leaders were not were not interested in bringing india out of poverty so it actually may be the case that they wanted to keep india poor you know so that's why the word chaya chaya grahan much predates the concept of photography but the most but the first successful method of photography was the daguerreotype it follows the same principles did india know it before did indians know it before i don't know unfortunately i don't know anything about this okay because we have nehru and they had mao that is indeed the case actually mao was not very good for china mao zedong um he did consolidate the the stranglehold of the chinese communist party on on power in china but the kind of ref- if you would call them reforms they were in many ways catastrophic for china the so called great leap forward caused the deaths of millions of chinese in in this artificial famine uh the four pests that he went after the sparrow the sparrow what else was it the rat was it there were some four pests i have spoken about this before i don't, I don't remember that what exactly the four pests were then there was the, the so called cultural revolution that again caused so many deaths so mao zedong he did uh, establish complete control over china but his actions were disastrous for china it is later on the actions of deng xiaoping essentially that set in place set into motion the process of china rising out of poverty and becoming a genuine global power mao zedong did indeed do certain things that were good for china such as uh, his emphasis on developing a chinese rocket program space launch program using technology borrowed from russia from the ussr which in turn had been had been borrowed from the nazis and so on so yeah you know it's a long story but the two nations went on completely different trajectories the chinese wanted power they wanted power on a global stage and mr nehru well he was mr nehru All right Okay what else do we have um Deng Xiaoping is the best and bu- biggest leader for China I think he is the one who set set in motion all the big reforms that have made China what it is today For sure he is the best leader they have had in the past um since the Chinese Communist Party took over I am sure Mr Xi Jinping would disagree with that <laughs> but uh, yes it is Deng Xiaoping who is responsible for the rise of China All right where are we what else do we have uh I don't even know what an Anu Anunnaki is I've heard this term lots of times I have been asked questions about this I don't know what an anunnaki is so sorry I can't answer
Okay. Can two or more planets have the same orbit around their star? It is certainly possible. I'm not sure how stable such an orbit would be in the long run. For instance, we have uh, we have the Lagrangian point. So one of the Lagrangian points is is in a straight line from the Earth and the Sun, but on the opposite direction. So you could certainly have a stable orbit there. So it is theoretically possible for two two planets to be in the same orbit around their star. Two. I don't think more than two. Most likely it's just two. I think there are two Lagrangian points that would allow you to have the same orbit. There is another, there are a couple more, I think there are a total of four Lagrange points out of which two are of the same orbit. So I think two planets can have the same orbit at, at the same time around the star, but in different locations. Are you a superhuman? No, sir, I am not superhuman. I am an ordinary human. Very much ordinary human. Uh, have you read autobiography, autobiography of a yogi? If, if you read it, then how was it? I have read the book more than 15 years ago. I don't remember much about it. Um, yeah, so... I'm not sure what to say because I don't remember much about it. It did not make a very big impression upon me. That's what I can say. Okay. Why don't you write books on Indian history? Okay. Uh, how to retain information? How do you retain everything I read? I do not retain everything I read. I, I, I just told you that I read that book, Autobiography of a Yogi, and I remember next to nothing about it. There you go. That's the secret. What is the secret? The secret is when you read something, give yourself permission to forget. If you read with the mindset that you, it is okay to forget what you don't find interesting, then you will automatically remember whatever you find interesting. You see, a book can have lots of things that you may not find interesting. What is the point in remembering such things? You should only remember things that interest you. So, the way I read is I am perfectly willing to completely forget everything. What I'm reading. I will only remember, remember what I found interesting, intriguing, fascinating. Everything else will just be discarded from my memory. So that is how I read. I have read so many books. I don't even remember the names of the books. People ask me for book references. I can't remember because I've read so many books. And much of what I have read, I have deliberately forgotten because it was pointless. There's, there are many books that are good. But even the good books have some information that may not be very useful, you know. So that is how I approach reading. I read a lot. I read very, very fast. And I remember what I find interesting. Everything else, I forget. So that's how you should also try and approach things. Give yourself permission to forget. Then you may actually end up retaining more. All right, let me take one more question. Didn't I answer this? I think I did. Um, 
Okay, Roshan. Roshan says, please answer this. All right, sir, I'll answer it. What's the question? Please shed some light between the history of Nepal with context of India. Also, how come both the countries are separated when so much is common? The nation-state system is a very recent invention. It's a European thing. India has historically been a civilization state. Nepal has always been a part of India. Right? When you look at the Mauryan Empire, which is an Indian empire, wasn't Nepal part of the Mauryan Empire during the time of Chandragupta Maurya, during the time of Ashoka the Great? If you look at the Kushan Empire, which was an Indian empire, wasn't Nepal part of the Indian empire, the Kushan Empire? If you look at the Gupta Empire, wasn't Nepal part of the Gupta Empire under Skanda Gupta, under Kumara Gupta? Have you heard of Yashodharman, the great king of Yashodharman? Nepal was part of his empire as well. So Nepal has always been a part of India. I don't, you know, people will keep claiming things that we are a separate country. Yes, you are a separate nation state, which has been created very recently. But the territory of Nepal, the geography of Nepal has always been part of India. It's part of the Indian subcontinent. It's part of Indian civilization. The Nepalese people have the same blood, same culture, same custom, same civilization, same languages as the rest of India. End of story. So why did the country separate? Because the British kept this country separate, Nepal, as a buffer state between India and Tibet. That's the long and the short of it. Is gravity the strongest force? No, it's the weakest force. Okay. And is there anything else? Should India leave the Commonwealth Nation Group Is any or anything significant is left in the Commonwealth Group like trade or FDI? There's no point being part of the losers club. The Commonwealth of Nations is the losers club. The countries that lost to Britain and were occupied and colonized and destroyed by Britain. Why does India need to be part of this nonsense? It is the losers club. India should leave the losers club. That's what I would say. If India has any self-respect, India will, will leave it. All right, I think we are at the end of today's session. So thank you everybody for all your questions. This is going to be the last Ask Abhijit live stream of this year. So I would like to take a moment to thank all of you. This channel was a tiny, small baby channel a few months ago. Now it is a small to medium sized channel. All thanks to you. It is growing quite fast because of your viewership. I am very, very immensely, immensely grateful for the privilege of your viewership. I'm very honored. I am blessed by the gods and the gods are you all. So thank you very much for everything. And we're going to continue next year and we're going to keep going. So enjoy the rest of the year and I will see you in the new year. Until then, take care. Thank you again and I'll see you soon. Bye.